Dan? Yeah, I don't know if you noticed the, the fish in the bags in that video. And it said that they, uh, that's connected with getting merit. What I understand that tradition is, um, people catch these fish, they put them in these bags, they hang them up in the marketplace, and if you buy one and then release the fish back into the wild, you get points with God for doing that. So it's part of the way that they're trying to appease a holy God, whatever their image or thought of God is. They're trying, they feel like they've got to do something in order to be right with him. This is why they're there to bring the gospel, because the good news is that we don't have to achieve rightness with God because Jesus did it for us. We receive it by believing in him. So that's why they're in Esan. And so thanks for supporting them if you do that, whether it's through prayer or giving. Well, we're continuing our series this morning on walking by the Spirit. And our passage is from Acts chapter 15, starting in verse 35. So if you have a Bible, uh, I encourage you to turn there. It's also going to be shown on the screen, though. Uh, while you're turning there, let me just say a word about what the rest of this series will look like so that you know that there's a game plan and that we're not just wandering around with no end in sight. <clears throat> um, today is the last of what we might call the more general messages about the Holy Spirit and His influence and His activity in our lives. Uh, the next several messages are going to be about what we call the spiritual gifts. Uh, things like prophecy and so forth, specific ways that the Holy Spirit works in our lives. And then the last few messages will be about some other important issues related to the Spirit. So that will probably wrap up around Thanksgiving, um, because in the meantime, Dan's going to be preaching on other things beginning next week. And uh, so we'll have, I think, a guest speaker at one point, too. So th look, Thanksgiving is when we'll wrap up this series. So that's where we're going. Today our topic is about being led by the Spirit, and for that we're going to read from the beginning and first few months of what we call Paul's second missionary journey. So let's read Acts 15, starting in verse 35, and then I'll pray. Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Paul also came to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith 
and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you are here with us this morning, that you love us, that it's your pleasure to open, us, open to us your word, um, that we might see fresh things about your character and your glory and all of your provision to us through Jesus and through the Spirit. And so we ask now, Spirit, open up our hearts and give us understanding and empower us, Lord, to do something with what we hear this morning. For your glory and for our joy, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, like many of you, probably, I followed closely the story of the 12 boys and their soccer coach who were trapped in a cave in Thailand recently. They had planned to explore the cave for a couple of hours after practice and then go home, but rains flooded the cave. They ended up trapped in a chamber about three and a half miles inside the cave system. And there was a rescue operation that followed. And that, I just was riveted to that. It was an amazing example of courage and compassion. Um, by all these people. The Navy SEALs from Thailand came in, cave divers from around the world converged, and they devised this plan uh, for how they're going to bring out these kids. And that was a very dangerous undertaking. One of the rescuers even died on his way out because his oxygen tank ran out after he had placed oxygen tanks all along the way for the rescuers and for the kids. So he didn't make it out. It was dangerous. Gave his life for that. But they were successful. All 12 of the kids and their coach were brought out after they had been inside for like two weeks. And when it was over, the rescuers gave advice to the kids. One said, we're very glad we could get you out alive. Be careful in the future. (laughs) Smart, smart advice. Another said, make the most of your lives. Be good people. Be a force for good in your country. That's right. That's good advice. But now they've parted ways. The rescuers have gone back to where they came from. And now it's on the kids to take the advice given to them and to make something of their lives. The rescuers aren't going to be involved in that. I bring up that story because... Maybe it describes how some of us think about God's involvement in our lives. He pulled off a great rescue operation that involved the death of someone, his own son, Jesus, not accidentally but intentionally. He rescued us from sin and death and hell. But then we think, well, he's not going to be around for the rest of it. He's going to give us advice. He's left us a book that says, make the most of your life. 
be careful. And that's it. Now it's me in the book. Now it's just me trying to figure out what do I do next because the rescuer is gone. Functionally, he's not really around practically for me anymore. We might think about God that way, that we're on our own as we make decisions day after day, never knowing whether we're doing the right thing or not. Maybe we think that's how the Christian life works. But the good news, friends, is that the God who saves us also leads us. He doesn't just give advice and then go away. He also guides and directs us in our everyday lives. In fact, that is one of the evidences that you are a genuine Christian. Paul said in Romans 8.14, All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So if you're led by the Spirit, if God is guiding and directing you, that means that's an evidence that you've been adopted, that you belong to Him now and He wants to take you somewhere. He intends to lead you there. That's the Christian life, being led by God. It's, it's Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, He leads me in paths of righteousness. It's John 10, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Christian life is one of following Jesus to where he wants to take us. And where he wants to take us is always good because he's the good shepherd. The shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep. He's not going to lead us astray. He's got every bit the heart of the Thai rescuers who are risking their lives to go in and get these boys. He is actually, he's got that heart for you. And when he takes you out of your despair and your place you're going that's going nowhere, he's going to take you somewhere good. That's his heart for us. He leads us by his spirit. And we see that in our text this morning. You've got this missionary band, which at the time includes Paul and Silas and Timothy. And it says, They were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Then it says, They attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. You'll notice that Paul uses the terms Holy Spirit and the Spirit of Jesus interchangeably. That's because Jesus leads us by His Spirit. To be led by the Spirit of God is the same thing as being led by Jesus, our shepherd. That's how He gets it done. He hasn't left us as orphans. He's given us the Spirit. You don't have to choose between following Jesus or following the Spirit. They're the same thing. But how does He lead us? How do we know if we're on the right track in the decisions that we make day by day. Decisions about jobs, about relationships, about what we give money to, what we go to school for, and things like that. Are we going the right way in our lives? How do we know? I think we can learn a lot by looking at Paul's second missionary journey, which is the passage that we're looking at today. Let's go back to that passage. We're going to draw out what I think are principles that apply to all of us. And the way we're going to look, go about this is to learn lessons at each point along his journey. There's four different regions that we'll talk about. Antioch, Phrygia and Galatia, Asia and Bithynia and Macedonia. And at each of those places, there's a lesson to be learned. 
about how the Spirit leads us. So let's start by considering the starting point of their journey, which is Antioch. So if you look at that map there, Antioch's on the far right and it's underlined in yellow. This is where it all begins. Verse 35 says, Paul and Barnabas were in Antioch, teaching and preaching with many others also. So that means they're in the church that's in Antioch. And it's from there that they decided, as verse 36 says, to go visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now, Antioch is a very important place in Paul's life and in the history of the church. Antioch is where this thriving Jewish and Gentile church was planted, the very first one, really, out of Jerusalem that took root and became something uh, large. This is the church, the very first church from which God sent people out to go to the ends of the earth. You know, the gospel is to go to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Well, from Antioch is where ends of the earth started. That's where it started to go out to places that have nothing to do with Israel, nothing to do with Jewish history. It's going out into the main world. Well, that all started in Antioch, and you can read about that in Acts 13, 1 to 3. That's where the sending happened. In that passage, Paul and Barnabas were in a prayer meeting of church leadership, and the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then follows their account of their trip, their first missionary journey, in chapters 13 and 14. And what they were doing in chapters 13 and 14 is they were planting churches wherever they went. That was the work the Spirit called them to do. They were to plant churches among the unreached to the ends of the earth and all the nations. That's totally consistent with the, the calling of God on Paul's life. Way back in Acts 9, he meets Jesus on the road becomes converted, and Jesus says, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. That was always going to be God's call on his life. He was going to be this pioneering guy. So that's what they're doing in the first missionary trip. They go out to what's present-day Turkey. They plant a bunch of churches. They come back to Antioch. And now this is the start of the second trip from Antioch. This is a continuation of Paul obeying the calling of God on his life. It's him continuing to do the work of the Spirit that God called him to. He's going to go visit those churches that he planted, and he's going to go beyond them to preach the gospel to new areas. Now, here's what that teaches us about the leading of the Spirit. It reminds us that the Spirit leads us into mission. The Spirit leads us into mission. You might remember from a previous message that the Spirit's power is for mission. It's in the context of witness, the building of the church, and telling people the good news about what Jesus has done through his life and death and resurrection. It's in the context of seeking first the kingdom of God that we receive everything that we need, including the leading of the Holy Spirit day by day. You see, when you put your faith in Jesus as Savior, you get swept up into a movement of God. You get enrolled in this great campaign that God has on his heart, which is to rescue people 
from their sins, from all over the place, all over the world, and throughout generations. That's this great thing that we've been entrusted with and called into. It's like you've been enrolled in, in his army, and there's a great war to be fought, and it's going to be a winning battle. You're going to win in the end, and you get to participate in this great victory of what he's doing. He's gathering a people for himself that are going to be with him, singing praises forever, and you get to be a part of that. You all have different parts, but that's the big picture that we're in. And the Holy Spirit wants to lead you in that context. He wants to lead us into mission. So to be led by the Spirit is to keep that in mind as we make decisions in life. We have questions like, do I go to college? Do I take this job? Do I pursue this relationship? Do I spend this money? But we don't ask those questions in a vacuum just looking at how it affects us. We ask those questions in the context of how does that fit within God's bigger purpose of bringing a people to himself and rescuing souls? So we look at that bigger picture and we ask, how will this decision affect my walk with God? Will this encourage or interfere with my availability to be used for other people's sake, for the sake of the lost, for the sake of the suffering, the hurting. So personally, I might want to buy a Jeep because I like to go into the back country. But I know that if I had a Jeep, I would feel obligated to use it. And so I'd be gone a lot of weekends using this Jeep that I spent a lot of money on. And uh, so that affects my time. And then there's the maintenance of it. And then there's money for gas because it's not really fuel efficient and doesn't make for a good family car either. Um, so I have to ask more than, would this be a lot of fun for me and can I, can I afford it? I also have to ask, would this distract me from God's call on my life? Would this take me out of commission to be involved in people's lives for their good? Or will it just be all about me? Those are different questions that we ask. But we ask them because the Spirit is leading us into mission, not just into, well, this would be fun. When his mission is on our hearts, as it was on Paul's heart in Antioch, it's much more likely that we're going to hear from the Holy Spirit. Because that's what's on his heart. That's what's on the heart of Jesus. And I should mention one more thing about the Spirit's leading before we move on from Antioch. The Spirit leads in community. He leads in community. Going again to Acts 13, the Spirit said to the group, to the leaders collectively in the prayer meeting, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work. He didn't just say to Barnabas, come and join me in the work. Or to Paul, get to work. He said to the group, set those guys apart for the work. The Spirit speaks in community, not just individually. He didn't speak to just those two, but to the group. So I think that needs to be said because there's a tendency for us, I think, to invest a kind of unquestioned authority in our own sense of what God is calling us to do doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. I've got this idea that I think is from the Lord, and so I'm going to do it. 
as if there can be no question about that, because I have the idea. This authority that we invest in our own sense. I was recently talking to another pastor. He had a young man in his church that he hadn't seen in a while. And so he connected with the guy and he said, hey, I haven't seen you in a while. You know, what's going on? And, and the young man said, oh, yeah, I don't come to your church anymore. The Lord wants me to plant my own church. No counsel, no, hey, I've got this idea, what do you think about it? Just, the Lord said, and I'm gone. And this pastor was saying, I fear for the people that he's going to lead because there is nothing about this guy that would lend itself to planning and leading a church. There's not maturity, there's not understanding of the gospel. This is going to end in a wreck. So, friends, not even the Apostle Paul started planning churches on his own sense of what he should do. The Spirit said to the group, set apart for me, Paul and Barnabas, not just to him. The Spirit speaks in community. That's not to say that there isn't individual leading by the Spirit, because there is, but we also have to remember Proverbs twenty-eight twenty-six, which talks about our hearts. It says, he who trusts in his own heart is a fool. But he who walks wisely will be delivered. It can be very difficult to separate our own ego-generated ideas from the leading of the Holy Spirit. We have a hard time identifying which one is which. That's why confirmation of direction in the Christian community is important. It's part of the protection that the church offers, especially when it's major life-altering decisions. So take advantage of the abundance of counselors. That is also how the Spirit leads. Okay, let's move on to the next location in the passage, which is Phrygia and Galatia. These are regions. In verse 36, Paul says to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Well, those cities are the ones that are highlighted under, in blue on your map. So you've got Derby, Lystra, Iconium, and Pisidia, uh, Antioch and Pisidia. Those are all cities along a trade route where they had been before. So that's where they're going. Let's go visit those churches. Now Barnabas didn't actually go with Paul on this trip because there was a falling out over Mark. Mark was with them on the first trip. He only went part way. He decided, I think I'm going to go home now, and he did. And uh, now he wants to join on this one again, and, and Paul's like, no, I don't think so. And Barnabas is like, let's give him a second chance. And they couldn't agree, so Barnabas goes with Mark off someplace else, and then Paul goes, he grabs Silas, and he goes to these churches. Um, what I want you to see, though, what I want to draw your attention to is how they decided to go on this trip in the first place. And I think we can say this, it was a decision based on wisdom. Wisdom is what led them to say, hey, let's go visit the churches. Because the background, it made a lot of sense to go visit the churches that Paul had planted at this time because there was a great big controversy going on over what is the gospel. Chapter 15 is mostly about what we call the Jerusalem Council, where the apostles and the elders got together to decide the question, what must the Gentiles do to be saved? Some were saying they need to be circumcised. 
They need to keep the law of Moses or else they can't be saved. You can't just tell them to believe in Jesus as the true Messiah. They also have to keep the commandments because Jesus is the Messiah of the Jews. So basically they're saying you've got to become a Jew before you can become a Christian. There's a controversy. And there were people going around teaching that, including the churches where Paul had planted in Phrygia and Galatia. People were coming around behind him and saying, Jesus is great, but you also need to be circumcised. You also need to keep the law. So there's controversy. That's why the book of Galatians was written, to clear it up. Paul wrote to them in Galatians, he says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. He's very concerned about how they're doing in these churches with this false teaching going around. So wisdom dictates we should go see how they're doing. We should go back and visit them. All the more reason because now they had a letter that they could bring. The Jerusalem Council made a decision. They rendered a verdict, and they said, the Gentiles don't need to keep the law. (laughs) Now, there's a few things they should do because they, they mix it up with Jewish believers, so they should abstain from a few things that would make it hard to fellowship, and those things were in the letter. But the letter was basically an affirmation of the free grace of God through the gospel. You are saved through trust in Jesus Christ alone and not by works. It's all free, total acceptance by God in Jesus as your Savior. That's enough. That's what was in the letter, and so they had this letter written, and it was to go to the churches to clear things up, and it had the full authority of the apostles behind it. So, you know, this is a good thing to start walking around. So Paul says, hey, let's take the letter. Um, We'll sign up for that. (laughs) Let's go back to the churches, and let's Let's read it to them, and that's what they did. And verse 5 says, The churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. That's the effect of the gospel of grace on our hearts. Strengthens your faith. Burdens drop off. I don't have to be good enough. Jesus was good enough for me. So they took that letter around. Wisdom dictated that they should do that to clear up the controversy and strengthen the believers. And that's a a principle, I think, in how the Holy Spirit leads us. Wisdom is a genuine part of how the Spirit leads us. Just because it doesn't say, the Spirit said, go check up on the churches, doesn't mean that it wasn't the Spirit involved. Wisdom is from God. Isaiah 11.2 says, The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, being Jesus, the spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit gives wisdom. So if you make a decision based on wisdom, that doesn't make it less spirit-directed. In fact, that's often how you're going to have to make your decisions because you're not always going to get an unmistakable, thus says the Lord, kind of leading. We'd love everything to be that easy, wouldn't we? Lord, do I go to college or do I go to trade school? And a voice from heaven says, go to trade school. You know. Lord, do I spend this money on vacation or do I upgrade my computer? Neither one. Save it. (laughs) 
Wouldn't it be great to have the Lord make everything so clear all the time? Actually, it wouldn't be great because that kind of leading wouldn't require us to exercise faith. Believers are to walk by faith. Faith is going without knowing. Faith is making a decision without 100% certainty that it's the right decision. Faith is making decisions based on what's wise to do and trusting in the character of God that causes even our bad decisions to work together for good to those who love Him. So if you're waiting for a bolt of lightning from heaven to make something unmistakably clear before you make a decision, you're probably going to get stuck in life because that's not how the Spirit leads most of the time. We gain wisdom by knowing God's word, by seeking counsel, and then we make a decision based on confidence in God rather than certainty about the outcome. We believe Proverbs 16.9, that the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. We plan, we do what seems wise, and we trust the results to the Lord. That's how we make most of our decisions. That's how the Spirit leads us. It's been said that a moving ship is easier to turn than one standing in the water. We don't get stuck waiting for certainty. We do the next thing. We keep moving with confidence in God. As you're moving with His mission in mind, He will turn you in the direction that He wants you to go. That's how the Spirit leads by wisdom also. Let's move on to the next location, next learning point. This happens in the regions of Asia and Bithynia. Those are underlined in red. Here's where we learn that the Spirit will sometimes lead in ways that seem contrary to our wisdom. He'll lead sometimes in ways that are contrary to our wisdom. They don't always seem right to us. And we get that from considering verses 6 and 7 after visiting the churches that he had previously planted, Paul and his companions decided to keep on going into new regions. So blue area, they've been there already. Everything west, they haven't been. So they think, hey, let's go to the next place along the road, which is Asia. And they're heading in that way. That's western Turkey. Asia, Asia is not the Asia we know now, but it was western Turkey then. But verse 6 says they didn't go there because they had been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. So think about that. The Holy Spirit, God himself, forbid these missionaries from telling this unreached people about Jesus Christ. Don't go in there and tell them the gospel. I forbid it. Now that doesn't sound right at first. And we have verses to back it up. Isn't God the one that promises to save people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, including Asia? Isn't Jesus the one who said, go and make disciples of all nations, including Asia? How can it possibly be the Holy Spirit of God who says, don't tell them the gospel? That sounds like the devil, not the Spirit. And yet, unmistakably, it is the Spirit who forbid them to go in there. 
Same thing happens again when they try to go to Bithynia. So they, they keep going through Asia. Well, the next thing on the road is Bithynia. Let's go there. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Verse 7. Jesus himself is, is involved in saying, I don't want you to tell them about me. <laughs> that seems counterintuitive. It seems even against what we would consider wise. Friends, we need to realize that not everything the Spirit leads us to do or not do will seem right in the moment. Sometimes it will seem wrong, like that can't be right. God sees a bigger picture than we do. He's never going to stray from his master plan of building his church from every nation. It's going to happen. But he knows when the timing is right for something and when it's not right. He will frustrate plans that seem clear to us. He will close doors that we think should be open. You've probably experienced that. I know I have. A couple of years ago, I had an idea that I thought made a lot of sense. I thought it was consistent with seeking God. My idea was to build a tiny house in our backyard. A tiny, tiny house, 8 by 12, basically one room, but it's going to make it nice. Here was my thinking on this. Number one, this will be a place for prayer and undistracted study. I could see myself going out there undistracted and really do business with God. That was a goal. And I'd make it available to other pastors and people who just want to get away from the noise and be alone with God. Make it a really inviting environment for that to happen. Besides, I thought it would be a great place for Sarah, because she was 12 at the time of this idea. It would be a playhouse for her. She could bring her friends over there, hang out, lots of fun. And it looked like I had the perfect help for it. I had Shannon, our interior designer, who was going to make this place fantastically wonderful on the inside. You'd want to be there. I had a friend who was a master craftsman who could build anything, and he committed to one week helping me build this thing. So I thought, it's all lined up, and I've got Mary's blessing on it. She said, go ahead and do it. And we had the money in the bank. So I thought, open door. This is going to happen. This feels right. So I get started. I build the foundation and then I did my taxes. Normally, we'd be getting back several hundred dollars, and that's what I expected again. Instead, we had to pay out $4,000. And poof, there went the money for the project. And so now, my foundation sits under a tarp, forlorn, mourning over dreams of what could have been. I thought, that can't be right. But the Holy Spirit doesn't always do what I expect. He will close doors that we think should be open. We will try things that look right to us, that seem wise, that seem in line with the will of God, and it's only after we try it that we realize that door's closed. But that's God's leading just as much as an open door is. That's part of how he establishes our steps. Paul tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus forbid it. They were moving in a direction, and he shut the door on them. Why? Because God is doing more than just getting us places. He is teaching us to trust him along the way. 
Closed doors teach us as much, if not more, than open doors. Closed doors cause us to reevaluate our motives. They expose assumptions and the idolatries of our hearts, and they remind us that we're not God. Only God knows what is the perfect and right thing to do all the time. We don't. Frustrated plans remind us that we need God, and that's the right place to be, depending on Him and His wisdom. But I will add this. We should also remember that a closed door does not mean it will never open again. Because on the return leg of this journey, the second missionary journey, Paul did go into Asia, and he did plant a church in a city called Ephesus, which outlived him and became a great source of gospel ministry. So sometimes a closed door doesn't mean no, it just means not yet. So I'm still holding out hope for the tiny house. <laughs> Let's finish with the last lesson on the leading of the Spirit. It's in the location of Macedonia. So having gotten red lights at Asia and Bithynia, Paul and his companions get a green light to go to Macedonia. So that's in green on the far left there comes in verses 9 and 10, the green light. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. That's an example of the Spirit leading directly and specifically. Come over to Macedonia and help us. <laughs> Doesn't get more clear than that. He's got, not only, he's got an address. <laughs> Come here and help us. Come and preach the gospel to us. Now, it's true, we don't always have certainty when we make a decision, but there are times when God does give us certainty. Times when he tells us exactly what to do. And remember, at this point, Paul and his friends still had plenty of options. They could have gone north into Thrace. They could have gone back west into Cappadocia. They had other places they could have gone. It wasn't like that was the obvious next place. But God says, here's where I want you to go. Here's, here's a vision so that you can see this guy saying, come over here. So I put a green dot on the map. I don't know if you saw that, but it's right on the city of Philippi. That was where they went, in the region of Macedonia. They preached the gospel in Philippi. You see the little trail going up there to the north. And then a great church was born there, a church that brought Paul much joy. If you read the letter to the Philippians, he loved that church. They cared about him too. They sent him gifts. So that just validated. You really did hear right. <laughs> Come over here. Because I've got people in Philippi that are going to respond to that gospel. Now's the time for that. So some, what we learned from Macedonia is sometimes the Spirit does lead in direct, clear, specific ways. Yes, we use wisdom. Yes, we operate mainly on confidence. But sometimes there's certainty. Sometimes there's clarity. The Spirit can do that. He can grant a vision. He can grant this powerful sense that this is the right thing. And you just know that you know that you've heard from the Spirit. I've experienced that not too many times in my life. But one time was when I decided to become a pastor. 
And I've told this story before, so I won't give all the details again, but I reserved a cabin for two days where I was going to pray and I was going to fast and I was going to seek God. And my hope was, and I brought books with me, my hope was after two days of this, after reading and thinking and studying, that I would at least have confidence. I wasn't really expecting certainty. I just thought, you know, give me enough sense to know yes or no on this decision. Do I have to do it? Should I do it? Um, So I open up one book, and I'm thinking, this is going to take two days. I read one paragraph, and I know what I'm supposed to do. God says, you should become a pastor. Certainty. Wasn't a vision, wasn't a voice, but there was certainty. I knew God spoke to me. And so I left. I didn't even stay the two days. I I was there for like half a day. Sometimes he'll surprise you with that. Sometimes you'll get the certainty that you need, especially when it's one of those really life-shaking, life-changing kind of things where you don't want to have too many doubts. I think God will lead us sometimes with certainty. Now, I didn't decide that in a vacuum. Mary was already in favor of, of it. Other guys were already saying I should do this. Other pastors were saying it. But the Spirit was the one who finally made it clear to me. I'm hoping that God's going to give us that kind of clarity as we're thinking through the fall ministry, as we're thinking how to reach Aurora. We'll go based on wisdom if we have to. (laughs) We'll go, we'll do the next thing with the wisdom that we have. But I'm also asking for clarity, specificity, and maybe he'll give that to us. One way or the other, he will lead us. God leads his people. We should be sure of that. So let me just close with an encouragement this morning. If you're a child of God by faith in Christ, you will be led by the Spirit. Don't think you're left to yourself to figure out life. You're not. You have a rescuer in Jesus who also remains with you to guide you by His Spirit. Now, we have some responsibility in that leading. It begins by being a disciple, being a follower of Jesus. He wants you to go in His direction. He wants you to be available for the great things that He has in mind. So we seek wisdom in His Word and in the community of believers. And we open ourselves up to His direct leading. We listen for His voice. And sometimes He'll make things very clear. And sometimes He'll close doors that we think should be open. He'll open ones we didn't even know about. But He will lead us. We can be sure that He will. So let's do the next thing. I don't know what it is in your life. There's something that you're probably deciding even now. He will lead us as we're seeking Him and His kingdom, right? Seeking first His kingdom. He will speak. He will make it known. He will grant wisdom. We can be sure that you're not alone. Let's trust Him to be the good shepherd that He says that He is. Let's pray. You are our shepherd. You are leading us. And we thank you, Lord, and we ask for eyes to see it. Lead us in paths of righteousness for your glory, for your namesake. For your namesake, Lord, lead us. Give us an idea of this great privilege that we have to follow you into the most amazing things that anybody can be involved with, you building your church for eternity. Give us eyes to see that, a heart to be, to be joining it, and lead us as we do it. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.